Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging technologies, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We're two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent technology analyst in my company, Jay Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, everyone. Hi, John, you international man of mystery, you. Ah, well, let's, I'm, let, let's let that hang a little bit because people will want to know what the mystery is about, but it's not that private. So we'll get to that in a few minutes, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, it's good to be back for another podcast. We're kind of going into the fourth quarter and, uh, you know, things have been pretty interesting. They're always interesting, but, you know, everyone's got to be worried about what 2023 holds. And uh, we mentioned before we recorded, you know, a lot of layoffs happening, the, you know, and pressure on companies to make profit. So there's some fundamentals here at play that we are definitely, those are definitely watch this space topics right but uh we have other things to talk about first but you know when we come to our december uh edition chris i'm sure we can uh conjure up some ideas then about what the economy holds in store potentially for these communications uh technology trends because i think things are gonna things will be impacted next year I agree although i do think it's continuing to uh evolve as as we come back to work the communications technology is a key part of it and I also think that uh, we'll, when December, we'll have our a look at the year ahead, right? Crystal ball time. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know if it's crystal. Might be mud, but we'll, we'll take a chance at it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Things are, it's a little too early to say, but, you know, give us two more episodes, folks, and we will have the story for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have one thing since we have come to start out with some of what we hear from our listeners and kind of what we read out there. So it just so happened this month, I, I was going to bring this up independently. I've been reading a, a whole bunch of articles about how workers are not happy about the a level of surveillance that's being done as they come back to work. You know, we know about badge swipes. In fact, there's been a couple of companies in the security business like Castle Systems who've brilliantly become a source, a news source of relatively unknown area, have become widely known uh, because of uh, doing data analytics over a wide range of badge swipes about how many days a week people are working and everything. But anyway, what I have heard, and we've heard one of our listeners point this out to me, is that people do feel surveilled when they're yeah, essentially attendance is taken in various ways. And sometimes it's even more monitoring than that in, in, in terms of monitoring keystrokes and um, active screen time and all of this. And, you know, the question one asks oneself is what does this really do? Especially when it becomes more granular. You can see if it's, if it's kind of broad scope, like swipes where it helps you make real estate decisions over time, then okay, maybe. But what do we really think about behavior monitoring? And the feedback we get is that workers don't seem to be that happy with it. What do you think? Well, I, t I totally agree, Chris. Um, I think this time about la yeah, last year, I was at an event in San Diego and I took an Uber 
And what this guy told me then validated everything. I think that's right on target for what we're saying here. He was talking about how Uber is reducing the, uh, you know, basically the the cut that the drivers get, and they keep whittling it down, whittling it down, and the drivers keep coming, but they're making less and less money. And it's another indication to me that a platform like Uber, I'm sure Lyft is no different. They are, you know, they're biding their time by building up those data sets of all the routes that people take to travel. Because like everything else with machine learning, it gets better the more data you have, where they can get to the point where they can eschew having drivers, their biggest cost, right? And just go straight to automated, uh, sorry, autonomous vehicles. I think we're a little ways out for that one yet, but that's the, that's, I'm sure is kind of the payoff for those guys. And so you are feeding the machine unwittingly and which will be your demise. And I think every job that's risk at risk of being automated is the same way, right? You just keep putting more data into the machine. It gets better and better at predicting and running things, etc. And in the workplace, I think that's part of what it will happen too, because decision-making these days seems to be very data-centric, right? You got to have the numbers to justify these decisions. And when you start evaluating employee productivity and value based on the metrics you're able to capture, that becomes the norm. You know, I'm a sports guy, Chris, and I see this in the world of sports where the stats are actually incredibly sophisticated now. And you can evaluate performance in so many ways that you couldn't do before. And in some ways it makes the game better, but it takes, you know, the human piece out of it. It just becomes all numbers. And I think the workforce is going to go this way as well. And you mentioned about keystrokes and screen time, anything that can be captured, and that's the downside of digital transformation, right? It creates all these data streams we couldn't have before. Now we can capture not just new data streams, but every instance of it, because that's the power of AI in the cloud. So every element of your engagement can be monitored and tracked. And so all of a sudden, you, go, you, you don't have a lot to defend yourself against if they're, you're, they're, they're defining productivity as per these new categories of numbers. Because if that's what they value for how they compensate employees and incentivize them, if those become the norms, you got to kind of like play along and do that because the qualitative, the soft stuff that you can't measure, if that becomes devalued by the people running the businesses, it's not, it's not going to play in your favor anymore. Whereas before it used to be, that's kind of what people looked for, right? That element of human engagement, right? The spark of creativity, stuff you can't measure. And I'm very, as probably as concerned as you, right? Where is this heading? Because it's just as much about, as you say, surveilling employees as it is defining the criteria against which we value your contribution here. That's all on the employer's side. This is nothing that is going to help stimulate the employee, that's for sure. Well, I, I agree, but I also have another another comment. It's nothing new, right? So it may be, mm -hmm. it, it, the technology is advanced to where they can do this real, you know, kind of almost like factory supervision with people who once might have been called white collar workers. But I think, you know, to our usual point, we have to be careful that we don't just speak to one segment. You know, I think if you went to a lot of different industries and a lot of different jobs and you said, oh, well, I'm concerned about this, they would laugh at you. 
because everything from call centers to fast food workers to warehouse workers, they have, they're monitored every step, which is not a good thing. And this isn't even the first time in history where this was pervasive. In fact, if you looked at um, the late 19th and early 20th centuries as factories and automation were starting right. to grow, Taylor. and the work of Frederick Taylor and other so-called industrial psychologists, this got to be an obsession with manufacturing. And for uh, maybe a few decades, it was considered bad and it led to the rise of the union movement and many other things. But now it's back more than ever. And now it's even attracting because of better technology. It's it's affecting more um, knowledge workers that are not involved with manufacturing or anything like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it just showed, but it's just now we there are so many more things that we can track that we couldn't track before. And as I say, if management values metrics, then they're only going to pay attention to the stuff you can capture and measure, which is kind of scary because these the things that are being measured are the things that can be automated. And if that's going to define the value of a worker, there's less and less need for the things that, you know, the humans bring to the workforce, right? As I said, that creativity, the camaraderie, the culture, the humor, inspiration, anything that you can't really measure, it, you know, if they're not valued, you're not going to have any reason to do that. And that, you know, touches on like when we talked about quiet quitting a little while ago too, right? But the danger is, you know what, if those metrics become the things that everything gets valued against, you know, yeah, that's just going to be less and less room for, as you say, the, even the white collar workers can be automated out of their jobs. Um, but the surveillance side, yeah, that's that's a trust thing, right? And the more that, if the more they feel surveilled, that means the less trust there is, even more reason for them to just put in the bare minimum. And that's, you know, that's just not good. That's just not going to be a win for anybody eventually. Well, in an environment of trust, you know, subject, look, there are some interaction things like we've talked about where I may, I may need people to be in the office just to be able to establish, have certain meetings and discussions in person, which are just better done that way, et cetera, et cetera, certain tasks. And of course, depending again on the job, if you're an engineer, you might need to be where the equipment is, for example, right? But I just think that if in a world where there is some trust between employers and employees, then the there is a trust that that the employee will get the job done and you have measurement systems that are measured on whether that job's accomplished or not right and how the employee does it and where and when is less important unless it has to do with interaction with other people so it seems as though you know if you're going to relentlessly focus on automation you're going to end up with an automaton whether it's a person or a machine you know, because there's not that's not a trust relationship. That's a cause and effect relationship. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes about taking attendance and all this other stuff. But I don't want to take away from all of your adventures lately, which are probably the main purpose of this podcast, right? Well, it's part of it. And uh, so I'm going to leave with, with one example, which you, you may not have heard yet because it is very new. But it's along these lines. And, I, you know, I, I'm sure you'd say the same, Chris. That there is a fine line between um, surveilling to keep track of your employees. So if you don't trust them, that, that, that is one thing. But there is a need for some level of kind of control and oversight, which is fair because not everybody 
is cut out to work in isolation, is cut out to work from home. And so, you know, you could argue that that surveillance that you would call is also beneficial because it gives the employers and the supervisors and the managers a little bit more, you know, insight as to where an, a remote worker might be needing help, guidance, training, uh, to shadow with a senior, more senior person to learn a few things. So the, those same surveillance capabilities can also be used for good, right, to help improve the employer's employees' performance and give them a bit of a career kind of arc to say, well, if you get better in these areas, you're going to advance. Um, so there is a positive there, but the same, the flip side of that too is that same, those same tools are also part of what the organization needs to protect its information. Because the reason why they may, employees may not feel trust is because of the way they're treated, but at the same time, employers have had issues where employees have taken advantage of, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, weak links to do things for their own benefit or in fact, you know, doing work on behalf of other people and espionage and all the nasty stuff that does happen in the, you know, in all kinds of enterprises. So this is a long build up to something that came out of the Cisco WebEx called WebEx One Analyst event that I was at in San Jose. So just as a disclaimer, folks, I've been on the road a while through most of October. So I've been to several events. Um, I'm only going to touch on a couple of things here. But if you check out my blog, there's plenty of, you know, I have takeaways from every event there with pictures and some video and stuff like that. So Chris, one of the things that they announced at Cisco is a new feature called audio watermarking. Now, what do you audio. think that means? Yeah. Audio watermarking. What does that sound like to you? Being able to trace where a recording came from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, if that doesn't sound like capital S surveillance, I don't know what does. Right. But what they're doing is they're doing this because what obviously they've come across enough instances where Employees who are in these meetings, conference calls, broadcasts, whatever you want to call them, and they are grabbing snippets of audio and leaking them on the internet, posting them on social media. Hey, you know what? Here's what our senior executive just said about this. Well, you know what? That's not cool, right? That's not something you should be doing, whether you think it's a good thing or not. So employers have reason to say, uh-oh, these conversations, which we have always assumed are private and in-house, um, we have no control over that because the uh, attendees have those tools at their disposal to, to, to extract data streams any way you want. Again, another kind of maybe unintended consequence of digital transformation, right? These same digital tools that employers use, employees have access to as well. And obviously there are cases where people are doing stuff like that that they shouldn't be. So, you know, this is a little bit like in the movies, right? Where how do you protect your intellectual property, right? And protect movies from being copied and distributed and that the whole pirate black market stuff, it's huge, right? This is a little different, but it, it's the same use of the technology, right? And so, okay, I can yeah. understand why they would want to do this to protect, rightly so, what's theirs, right? help me understand something. So they would 
have some sort of ambient noise in the room where um, you can't hear it, but it'll get picked up on a recording? Or is it introduced into the WebEx conferencing stream? And my part B of this question is, so what? Like, what could they do with that? Well, what could who do with what? Well, the suppose player? they suppose this was watermarked, right? Yeah. And somebody leaked something. Is there anything they could do to, you know, like what legal thing does that give them? What legal advantage does that give them? Because uh, if it were leaked otherwise, wouldn't they just be able to um, put the employee on a deposition and say, did you record this? And the person's under oath and it was on their phone. So what does this give you that the, that wouldn't have had before? Well, I suppose because the, if the audio stream gets clipped or whatever and, and gets distributed maybe through other channels, um, at least the company will know about it because they can trace it. Um, I understand if it's on your phone, it's on your phone. They're going to find it one oh, way I or see. another. I see. But, but this would be in the WebEx conferencing stream. Right. So they can, because they use AI, it can identify who the speaker is so they'll know whose verbal content is being taken but they can also because it's watermarked wherever it goes there'll be a trail right so that way they can they, i don't think they can block it from going out but at least they can identify every you know every stream of audio if they can with ai they know they can attribute it to who said it and i suppose they would have a log of who else was in this meeting and had access to this and then they could trace where it goes Oh, I see. So I guess it, you know, it's I under, it's understandable as to protect what should be in house that it stays in house. That's not unreasonable. Now, do you know that this watermarking feature is in use now? That I'm not clear on that. If it, you have to announce this, like this call is being recorded, same thing. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know if it's going to be like a quiet deterrent or a loud deterrent. I don't know. It's sort of like embedded metadata that's going all the time. So if you have the means to detect it, you could get the timestamp and the speaker and the meeting and the company and whatever else they want to embed in there from no matter where it goes to, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're serving, you know, they're serving the needs of IT first and foremost and the organization's data. You know, because we as analysts, all we see about is, oh, well, how does this make it better for the employee, right? The, the team players, the collaborators, how do we use these tools? Okay, that, that we know all about that with UCAS, and that's, the, that's another part of this value proposition. But at the same time, they also have to keep, you know, they have to cater to IT's needs and corporate needs as well. So I, I, must, I wouldn't really call this surveillance technology, but it, it's kind of... It can be viewed as a form of surveillance, right? I think it depends on how it's used, John. I got to say, yeah. it sounds like something. I'm kind of speaking as former IT guy. It, it sounds like something that could really be very useful. I think so. I think uh, so. Because you, we always worry about um, information leakage and vulnerability. And um, this could be a way that people could tell, could, could tell where things were leaking, which is very often very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you could see how employees would just see this as another form of surveillance, another reason not to trust your employer, right? If Maybe. you're going to be cynical about it, if you're going to be cynical. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I have to give it, we'll have to give it some thought, listeners and ourselves, you know, because it doesn't seem, it seems like if it were positioned incorrectly, that it might be objectionable. 
but in its fundamental reasoning, it's not surveillance. Whereas surveilling logins and keystrokes and screen time and swipes past a certain point, you know, where it's not regulatory and there's no real clear reason to do it on a day-to-day -day basis, except to try to measure if people are actually working seems more intrusive. But you could certainly see that any of these technologies could easily be misinterpreted. Yeah, I'm with you. It's how it's it's how it's presented, right? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, though. So what else did you find in your travels? Well, you were in Morocco, weren't you? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back to Cisco for another. Oh, OK, we, well, we can't leave Cisco. Yet. Future okay. of work thing as well, because we talk about the office space, right, as being part of the story. And I do want to say that Cisco is clear. That was a strong message that came out of this that uh, you know, the collab features are always going to keep evolving, but they've moved kind of their, they've broadened their value proposition to include uh, facilities people, you know, real corporate real estate people, because they realize that part of the solution to hybrid work is you got to, you know, reimagine the workspace to support, you know, flexible work styles, right? So what they've come up with, which I think is kind of interesting, is they've come up with what they call validated designs. And they, they have a platform service called Cisco Spaces now. And what they're doing is they're trying to offer like these 3D renderings of your organizations, you know, or your floor plans to help enterprise develop more like, you know, smart workspaces, right? So, you know, what's the optimal layout for everything here and whatever the layout's gonna be, then the, what they're trying to do is to help the facilities people to kind of maybe re-engineer re their environment to say, hey, we have, we've, we developed what we call these validated designs that will optimize the use of our various technologies that are meant to support hybrid work. So they say, if you want to have this kind of configuration, we've, we've, got, we've got these solution designs that say, okay, this mix of tools will really be a good fit for this kind of configuration of an environment. So they're, in, in other words, they're trying to play a more active role in marrying endpoints and devices with network design, with office design, all with this idea of how do we make this new generation of working work, right? So I think it's a, I think it's a smart approach that sees the bigger picture, right? Beyond just saying we need better, better phones, better video endpoints. It's much bigger than that. So they're taking that broader view. And, and I think that's gonna, I think that that's, that's listening to the market to see this is what we really need. Yeah. I mean, it's innovative. And it's also, it's a, it's a Trojan horse in the good sense, if mm. there's such a thing, because yeah. I mean, for Cisco, but also probably for the customers, because uh, one of the biggest problems that you have today in trying to make smarter and better workspaces is who owns the maps. And it turns out there really isn't any kind of canonical system for floor plans. There's obviously very, you know, leading, leading edge ways to create them, right? There's AutoCAD and everything else. But for a repository and being tied into all the other systems, that is a, ser a severely lacking solution right now. Mm. There's a bunch of players who do it, but they're not tied into everything. So, you know, Cisco is not, it has varying degrees of success implementing some of these bigger visions, but that is an interesting vision. Um, and then to help with layout, it's an interesting vision for sure. I thought, I thought so. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a strong takeaway for me. So yeah, just in our, you know, we don't have too much time left to, to re get through stuff. But yeah, you mentioned Morocco. So yeah, that, that was actually my first stop in, in my October travels, but uh, it was probably the most exotic thing I've ever done. So this was hosted by NICE, capitals, N-I-C-E, and they're definitely one of the leading pure play contact center vendors. And what's compelling about what they're doing is that they're actually, they're making money. And that's not the case for a lot of these vendors. Uh, Genesis just shut down one of its kind of core offerings because, you know, this is where the market is going. And you mentioned the layoffs, obviously, you know, uh, uh, you know, Avaya's had layoffs, Microsoft's had layoffs. And, and, you know, a lot of these companies, as we said earlier, you know, going into a time where profits are going to become more important than growth, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out. But it's really good to be listening to the messaging from companies that are actually doing it and making money, right? Because so much of this cloud, you know, SaaS model is about, it's generating a bigger customer base, smaller revenue streams, but you got to have a lot of customers to make it work. And uh, to be profitable with all this, is, it's, it's tricky. So it was good to see, you know, a company that's on the leading edge of stuff and finding it profitable. Um, I just like hearing where they're going with stuff and they are clearly betting big time on AI as are the other vendors too. But they're like Cisco is showing a broad vision here, Chris, with this idea of spaces. You know, they have their CXI framework, which is very much about using automation to kind of, just like we talked about with the surveillance stuff with all these new data streams, right? use that to be you know have more predictive intelligence to help agents you know get further along faster with the customers and uh of course to automate as much of the you know the workflows but also the customer journey as possible but again ambitious vision and you know it's an interesting time to see these companies where the cloud stuff is maturing to a point now where a lot of this stuff works and now can we kind of rethink what we've been doing in the past. So there's some parallels there with Cisco and Nice to what they're doing. That they're, I think they're leveraging this stuff to look at the bigger picture of how that those spaces are evolving, as opposed to just keep rolling out, you know, new feature, new feature, new feature. Kind of what we see a lot from like Microsoft or Zoom. Interesting, interesting. So a question that comes to mind with respect to Nice, and maybe they address this. What do they see as the sort of macro direction of the call center market in terms of growth? Do they think that customer interaction is a growing space and that more people want it? Or do they see perhaps it's growing, but it's changing in terms of the media that it uses? So like younger people are going to be more likely to consult an app than want to speak to an agent. Where do they see it all going? Yeah, well, they're, the latter for sure, they, they, they're trying to have you know intelligent automation as much as possible and you can only do that if you've got you know we've talked about this term before conversational ai right where the bots can actually engage with you and ask you questions and handle unstructured data you know open-ended questions and with a with a good enough repository of data that they can come up with not just intelligent answers for you but also you know predictive stuff that says well if we do this we think this might be good for you or you might be want to consider you know this alternative uh, in other words get the 
but the automated service option doing more of the things that the agents have typically done. So that that's kind of the vision that they have. How well it goes, it's hard to say, but this they're banking heavily on their view is that this what they call CXI will be viewed as a new category separate from contact center. So in other words, like a, the big term when you migrate contact center to the cloud. So just like we have UCAS for UC in the contact center space, we call it CCAS, right? Contact center as a service. And the thing that they're trying to move away from is this view of the contact center is still the center of everything. And it's not right customer journey customer experience these bigger picture ideas of what the customer really values you know is is where contact center may be where they call in for help but it's not their only point of engagement right they they'll they, they you know they have to respond to to marketing and sales you know uh inquiries very differently but the customer will have choice, like, like in other words, not choice, but they have many streams now to interact with your business. And the other thing you raised was about the channels, right? The younger generation are gonna be favoring typically more text-based channels, maybe a little more video, and the older generation tends to be more voice-centric. So you've gotta kinda of cater to all of these different ways or preferences for communication and that's still a big challenge for a lot of contact centers right now that they can't handle these multi-channel environments very effectively whereas that's a big selling point for companies like nice they're not the only ones every all contact center vendors are talking this approach right where you can seamlessly go from one channel to another and the context and intent carries over wherever you started whatever channel you started on to where you go so the agent doesn't have to repeat, right? Or keep asking the same questions over and over again. So they're all on the same mission to, you know, make the experience as seamless and frictionless as possible. It's still a dream, Chris, but you know, that's the aspiration. And I think they're, you know, that is the right approach to take. And I think the best example is when you look at companies that are purely like digital brands that are newer businesses, and cater to a younger younger audience. You know, you see this like Sephora is a popular example, right? Makeup for younger people and, and uh, music services. And you know, these are digital from the ground up, these businesses. They totally, you know, this is what they build all of their interactions around. So they, they're already very good at capturing all of these data streams and really getting to know their customers. And I think that's the bottom line, Chris, right? Is when you, if you know your customer well enough, you can grow your top line profitably because you're not making guesses anymore. You kind of know what the customer wants. That's gold for the business, right? And that's a very different approach to contact center than just what's your problem? Let me solve it for you and let's move on to the next one, right? Yeah, it's like engagement versus customer service. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, interesting topic. We're going to run out of time here. Um, yeah. <laughs> but why don't we watch that space and maybe bookmark that a little bit and come back to it. Yeah. And I can't leave, though, Chris, without saying the Siptones were on fire. Oh, my goodness. I forgot <laughs> to ask. Uh, been... So you guys played your gig. Was it one or more? Just one. So at the SCTC event where I'm, I, you know, I, I've been a member for a while, you know, and I'm in the band. So we had our gig there at our conference in Dallas. And um, we had an opening band, the, they were called Southern Flight, 
And these guys have been doing this for like 20 plus years, two brothers, and they were very good. They did their set, we did our set, and then afterwards they came up and we had a bit of a jam session. It was really, really fun. And uh, it was great. It's also when you're in front of a home crowd, you know, our members, they know us. So we had uh, a good run of the room and we could play a lot longer than we got to play last time. So it was really good. There are a couple of photos, certainly on my website and my, my, my blog. And uh, we do have video and that's going to come soon. I don't have it yet. But, uh, you know, stay tuned. That's all I can say. Well, we'll so. have to watch that. Yeah. Um, watch did you and listen. Watch, well, listen to this space anyway, and you can watch it too. But did you roll out any new tunes or was it... Was it uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, we had to because we, we had... Uh, Rebecca was our singer the last time and she was she's in Northern California. She agreed to come out and join us. So we added a couple of songs that she was, uh, that she was comfortable doing. And yes, well, all good. Sip tones hit the stage again. That's all. That's all fabulous. And so, hopefully, uh, we'll watch the video. And uh, when what's the next thing? You're off again. You said. Yeah, all in a month's worth work. You know. So yeah, for November, uh, I have a couple of more events: uh, Twilio, Zoom, and Mavener. And uh, yeah, Mavener will be interesting. They're a wireless infrastructure player, not necessarily a household term, but I will tell you one of the, the last event I was at this week was uh, Ring Central, their analyst event. It was up in Napa Valley, very, uh, they spoiled us. It was a very nice place to go. This will be my last comment, but one of the things they're talking about a lot is private 5G. For enterprise and uh, I know I'm going to hear about that from Mavener as well so this is another one of those watch this space things Chris that we'll probably touch on more next year it's the reason why Ericsson bought Vonage that the carriers are really going to start to push hard on why first of all 5G uh, as a network you know for enterprise communications and also at SCTC we heard a little bit about um, Wi-Fi 6 um, competing technologies, but maybe more complementary as well. So the last thing, yeah, I got to mention this one, Chris. We had a keynote from the guy who does IT at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, and it was fantastic. He, he, I never realized how big this facility is globally. It's one of the top airports in the world in terms of traffic volume. The stuff that they're doing with advanced technologies here, especially with a lot of the wireless stuff, is fantastic. They, they understand how to use these technologies to improve, you know, every step of the way, how, you know, the bags are handled, how the airport operation runs, and to make the visitor, the traveler experience as good as it can be. So this it was a great example of seeing a company, you know, an organization that gets it and understands the technology and is putting it to work to that end. Um, yeah, that was really inspirational to say if every business was like this, these consultants would have very lucrative careers. It's just, you know, this is the, the good example of how you, you know, deploy new technology. It was just really great to see that for a large organization. Well, let's, um, let's say this. We're going to make a date for one of our future episodes, not long, maybe first in the new year, to talk about wireless because we really need to talk about Wi-Fi 6 and... Uh, private 5G, because those are going to be um, very related to the way office and workplace works in going forward. 
and um, uh, they're, they're going to be part of this whole transformation going forward in the way spaces are laid out and the way um, and, and IoT and many other areas. So we should definitely uh, reserve that as a topic, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. So you folks, you're getting your money's worth today. There's a lot yeah, yeah, we've stuff. queued up two more, right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. So well, okay. that brings us to time. So thank you all for listening. And we hope you will continue with us as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. If you don't know by now, our episodes can be accessed on our my dedicated website, www.watchthisspace.tech or where you subscribe. And we're on all the major platforms, so we're not hard to find. And if you like it, please leave us a review or a rating or comment. You want to see new topics for us to cover, we're all ears. So with that, I am John Arnold. I'm Chris Fine, and thank you all. Thank you, John. Always great to co-host with you here. And uh, stay tuned next month for another episode of Watch This Space.